Thank you for remaining standing. We'll be reading uh, from the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. O oh Lord, we pray that your grace may always proceed and follow after us that we may continually be given to good works through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. All right, so we're starting on a grand adventure. It's an adventure through the Gospel of Luke. This will be our longest undertaking as a church. It's going to consist of five separate sermon series across the next two and a half years. So it's Luke is long. I don't know if you know this, Luke wrote more of the New Testament than anybody else. You probably think it was Paul. It was Luke. Luke wrote Luke and Acts as a two-volume work. Whether we move from Luke into Acts for another two and a half years will, remains to be seen. Um, but we're starting in this new series, on this first series on the Gospel of Luke, which will take us from Luke chapter 1 through chapter 4, verse 13, which is the end of Jesus' temptation. And Luke, uh, unlike some other New Testament authors, Luke introduces his work and tells you exactly what he's doing here, what, what this is about, why he's written this, and how, what he hopes to accomplish. And this is what he says in the first three, three verses. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Luke identifies himself sort of, I want to say, in three different ways. One is a historian. He's paid attention to what's going on. He's made careful accounts. He's followed the events. He's a historian. But he's not just a historian. He's also a messenger, right? He's passing on what has been handed to him, the oral and the written traditions. There's a lot of written things. There's a lot of oral tradition from Jesus up until the time of Luke, from the eyewitnesses and the other prophets. The eyewitnesses, mostly these, the apostles. But not only is he a historian and a messenger, he's a curator. He's making careful choices in all that he's received. He's going to organize, order, and tell this story in a well-crafted way to pass along a specific message. And it's not that he's not concerned with what happened, but he's mostly concerned with what it means. What do these events mean? What do they mean for you? What do they mean for me? And the way that he has organized his story is meant to communicate meaning. Like I went hiking with my brother last weekend, and I could stand here and I could tell you a lot of facts about what, where we went and what we did, but you want to know how was it? What did it mean? How did it, did it impact you? Did it matter? Did you enjoy it? Those are the things that you want to know, and that's what Luke is doing. He's telling the story of Jesus in a way to convince us, to show us what the story of Jesus means in the world. Now, anytime you start something new, a class, a lecture, a book, a TV series, a sermon, you need to ask one question. 
So what? Why does this matter? Why does this story matter? Why should I, why you, every time you watch a new pilot episode, like by the end of that pilot episode, you're like, you better convince me that this is going to matter. You better convince me it's good. You better convince me this is something that I should pay attention to and watch or listen to or read. And Luke knows this because he's a good author, so he tells you why in verse 4. He says, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So that. Okay, this is the purpose statement for the entire book, Gospel of Luke. So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. He's giving you a purpose, a reason, a motivation to read and listen to the Gospel of Luke. He's talking to Theophilus. This is his, we, we don't know who this person is. It was a common name. It means lover of God. So it could just been, uh, it could have been sort of generic, probably with someone specific. We don't know who he was. We don't know if he was a follower of Jesus. We don't know if he was a skeptic or a seeker or a non-Christian, but he'd been, he'd heard of Jesus. Okay, so that's most of you in here have heard of Jesus. You've heard some stories about Jesus. And yet Luke is still writing to him with this one purpose so that he may have certainty concerning the things he has been taught. So I just want to walk through this one sentence, three, three clauses, and I want to restate it in a way that I hope will be helpful for you in thinking about why, why we're studying Luke. So here's the first part. So that you may know. No, we've talked about this before. Anytime we see the word know, we bring our like modern uh, sensibilities to it. We think of knowing as something intellectual, something factual, rational arguments, proofs, you know, right? We talk about apolog Christian apologetics is this kind of making arguments for the existence of God or making arguments for the proof of the resurrection. We have a scientific method that leads to theories, from theories to hypotheses to facts and established things that we can know. We have legal proceedings that lead, we're making a case, what, beyond a reasonable doubt. This is how we think about knowing something. But the content of the gospel and even the Greek word underneath here, it points in a different direction. Not so much about a scientific fact that you prove in court, but rather when, when, he, when Luke talks about knowing, he's talking about perceiving, realizing, recognizing, or even the word see and witness can be, can be part of this. Right? There's, it's one thing to sit, we watch a lot of baseball at my house, as I've said. It's one thing for me to, to go on the internet and to read all about different kinds of pitches. Right? There's curveballs and sliders, there's now sweepers, there's fastballs, there's all kinds of different pitches. It's one thing for me to know uh, what pitches are. It's a very different thing to stand in the batter's box and to perceive, to recognize what kind of pitch is coming towards you so that you know how to swing. When Luke is talking about so you may know, he's not talking about so you can know up here. He's talking so you can perceive, recognize, realize something. He wants you to have this engage, engagement with the reality around us to be able to see and recognize. He wants us to become more aware of something aware in our lives. This is an ongoing state of heightened awareness, of paying attention. And so when he says, so that you might know, I want to restate this for you, so that you may become fully aware. This is what Luke is after. Full awareness, paying attention, perceiving, noticing. And noticing requires attention. This is going to be a consistent theme as we walk through the next 12 weeks in these first few chapters, is paying attention. 
paying attention. You can't become aware without paying attention. So if Luke wants you to become fully aware, what is it that he wants you to become fully aware of? That's the next word. He says, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. And again, we have modernistic understanding of what this word means that complicates our reading of this verse. When I hear the word certainty, I think of beyond a reasonable doubt, like in a courtroom, that I may have certainty, that I may know for sure what is going on. And so we can read this verse and think that Luke's goal is for you to be 100% sure of something. Right? Is that how you're reading it? Is that how you're perceiving this, this verse? That's how the ESV actually phrases it, so that you may have certainty. Like, we give the kids food choices sometimes, specifically when it comes to eggs. You can have scrambled eggs. You can have over-easy you can have whatever. You give them several options. And it takes a good 5, 10, 15 minutes for them to become sure, certain of what they want. I can't tell you how many times they say, I want scrambled eggs. And then you give them a plate of scrambled eggs. You're like, I don't want this kind. Like, you said you were sure. Well, I wasn't sure. I was unsure, and I just didn't know it. Right? So it's like there's this certain, this internal certainty of decision-making about being sure. And that's kind of what we think of when we read this text, or when we talk about knowing and trusting and believing. But that's not what Luke says. He says, so that you may know the certainty. Right? This is not a certainty inside of you. It's a, a sureness and a firmness and a reality outside of you. Did you see the difference between those things? I can be sure of what I want to eat. So the, the, op the opposite example here with the kids is we, we try to get them to become certain of their choice. This is internal sureness. But another thing we do is that we say, if you finish your meal, you can have a, a dessert. And I put the dessert in front of them on the counter so that they can be sure of the certainty and reality of the dessert. These are different things. Do you understand? There's a sureness in what they want, but then there's a certainty of the reality of the external thing that they can see and experience. And that is what Luke is talking about. It's an external certainty. It's a reality. He wants us to become more fully aware of something real to come in contact with the reality of something. He wants to show us the cold, hard cash, right? Something that you can see and count. This is why we say, show me the money, or the, the old proof is in the pudding, right? What does the proof is in the pudding mean? It means that the, the, the reality, the certainty is not something internal, but when you touch it, you know that it's real. That's what he's talking about. Luke wants us to become more fully aware of the reality of what? The things you have been taught. Literally in Greek, the word which you have learned. What is this? What is the things you have been taught? What is the word that you have learned? And there's a lot of answers to this. The whole Bible is an answer. But in Luke, especially in these first three chapters, there's one answer that dominates the consciousness of Luke. And I just saw it over and over as I read and meditated on these chapters. One primary overarching reality that Luke is interested in us perceiving. 
I think it's most easily seen in verses 78 and 79 of chapter 1. This is Zechariah is prophesying about the birth of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is born, and Zechariah's mouth is open. We'll get to this text in a few weeks from now. And Zechariah prophesies with this amazing sort of lyrical prophecy. And at the end of his prophecy, he gives us these two lines. And I think it's the summary of the entire book of Luke. It's the thing that Luke wants us to perceive. And it says this. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Here's Luke's basic message. God has visited us. That's Luke's basic message. God has visited us. The divine person, the creator of the world, the one who spoke things into being, the source of light and life, the source of beauty and goodness, the source of that feeling in your gut of transcendence that you know that we are not alone, that we're more than randomness and molecules, that sense you have, the sense of divinity that this divine person has visited the earth. You watched the U.S. Open at all these last two weeks? Jeremy? No. Okay. It's tennis. Yeah. Um, they're always looking for the celebrities. They're like, Tom Cruise is among us. They're like constantly looking. Or when one of the players walks out, you just see people mobbing. They're like, Djokovic is among us. Where is he? I need to see him. He's visited us. He's come here. I want to notice. I want to see. I want to pay attention. C.S. Lewis is so good at this in the Chronicles of Narnia. This is Aslan is on the move. He's here. You see in the characters in, in the Chronicles of Narnia, they have this just like super attentiveness to where Aslan might be, this belief that he's present. He's among us. He's come and visited us. The one who created this thing is, is on the move, and he's bringing something good for us. This is what Luke wants you to perceive the reality of. The reason why he's written his gospel is that so that you may perceive the reality of the presence of God among us. You see, the story of Luke is not just a historical story about Jesus, although it is. It's the story of the world. It's the story of the divine person who through his interaction with the nation of Israel culminates in Jesus, but it's the story of the whole cosmos, of humanity itself. The divine person breaking in. It's not a one-time event. It's an in-breaking of a new reality, and that's the reality of God among us. Transcendent, earth-shattering, God is present. Artist Scott Erickson says, it's not a story that just happened back then. It's a story that's happening right now. That's what Luke is for. 
so that you and I might become fully aware of the reality of the presence of God among us. In, in, inviting you into this, a heightened awareness of God's presence in the world, his way of moving and being and interacting with human individuals. And the problem is, and the, we see the problem in the, in the second half of the prophecy here, it's the sunrise from on high needs to come and visit us. Why? Because we live in darkness and in the shadow of death. We're racked with doubts, with intellectual doubts and experiential doubts and rational doubts and suffering. We live in darkness. We're, and this darkness consists primarily of one thing, unawareness of the presence of God. That's what the darkness is. And in, in the person of Jesus, what Luke is telling us is that God has entered the world so that he can resolve that problem of darkness so that you and I can become more aware of the kindness and presence of God. Even those of us who know and believe in Jesus, we suffer this darkness in cynicism, in apathy, or in ignorance, or just an inexperience of paying attention. And Luke says, Jesus' coming is like a sunrise, coming down from on high, it was nighttime, and now it's daytime, and he wants to increase our awareness of this sunlight so that our experience of Christianity is more than some kind of belief system or mental ascent, or, but that it's a life of becoming aware of the presence and kindness and activity of God. And as Zachariah says, guiding our feet into the way of peace. You know, the early Christians described Christianity as the way that's, that's how they talked about it, the way. And the way of following Jesus is a way of attentiveness and attunement and awareness leading us in the way of peace. Scott Erickson, just mentioned him, He's a, has done some great Christian art and I found this reading some things that he's written about prayer. I thought it was just so great. It's very evocative for this context. A believer is someone who is skeptical. I love how he sets this up backwards. A believer is someone who is skeptical that we are on our own. And that skepticism is grounded in a daily witness of a simple yet sacred intentionality. In other words, we're looking around, we're paying attention to what's going on in our world, and we're like, there's no way that we're alone because God is present. To have eyes to see is to practice looking deeply into all that is and to observe the hands of providence, the hand of God, the presence of the divine person in all of it. To believe is to trust that our lives are not to be worked out solely on our own, but are the very invitation to participate with God's loving intentionality. That's exactly what Luke is talking about. It's exactly what Zechariah is talking about. This is what Luke is about. It's an invitation to pay attention, to perceive the reality of the presence of God, and to participate with his presence all around us, to doubt that we're on our own to become more fully aware that the sunrise from on high has come and visited us. That's why I chose this sort of obscure title for this series, Divine Visitation. 
Because that's what Luke is about. The divine person of God visiting the world and us being invited to pay attention. So it's my hope as we walk through these next 12 weeks, all the way through Thanksgiving, the, the narr- Luke's narrative of Jesus' story, that you will pay attention, that you will learn to become more aware of God's presence in your own life and in the world, in others, and that this will lead you into the way of peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this divinely inspired book of Luke, for your influence through the Spirit on Luke to write these things, that we might experience the reality of your presence in the world, breaking in through Jesus, that you would draw us into the way of peace, that through knowing and seeing and experiencing your voice, your presence, your power in our own lives around us, that we would find the peace of Christ. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.